So this is my biggest fear. It's week two. My iPad won't open. I have no sermon notes. It's going to be great. Just hold on for a minute. It's going to be awesome. How are you doing, everybody? Oh, that's really... All right, we're going to use a phone today. So I'm not checking my Facebook profile. We'll see how this goes, and hopefully we'll get it fixed. So good morning. Thank you for being here with us today, whether you are in the room or you're turning in, tuning in online. Uh, I'm not going to lie. If you're online, I kind of get it today. It's a little breezy, a little windy, you know. I, I kind of get it. So we're just glad that you are here, no matter how you've chosen to join us this morning. Have you ever made up your mind about something? Only to like five minutes later doubt if you made the right decision. You were absolutely certain everything was going to be great. And five minutes later you thought, oh no, what's happening, right? I had this experience. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Chase, always there for you. I had this experience. I had an opportunity to take some graduating seniors to Bolivia on a mission trip. And the missionary who we were serving said, hey, we, we are so appreciative of the work you've done. We want to take you out and have a little bit of fun. So we're going to go to Lake Titicaca, which is the highest navigable lake in the world. We got a picture of it, I think, right here. It is a beautiful lake, 12,500 feet above sea level in the Andes Mountains. It was gorgeous. And I was like, oh, this is great. I love looking at the lake. He's like, no, we're going to zip line across the lake. We're going to do what? What you need to understand about me is I am terrified of heights. And the next picture is a picture from where we were standing, and we're going to cross the lake to the other side of that seashore. I think it was like 2,500 meters. I mean, I have a minute-long video of me going down the side of it. We're not going to make you watch that today. It's embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> where I literally disappear, and I'm still going down. I walked up this mountain with my students. And I was 100% certain I was not ziplining across this lake. But So we walked up the side of the hill. The bus took us, dropped us off. We walk up the side, and I get there, and I'm like, okay, no, no, now I know for sure I'm not doing this. And they're like, here's your harness. I don't need a harness. I'm getting back on the bus, and I'm walking around. And I, you know, peer pressure, teenagers, right? You can't, like, be the one guy who doesn't go. They're all going. They're like, I'm scared too, Jason. I'm like, yeah, no, you're not as scared as I am. So put the harness on, thought about it, paced back and forth, sat down, stood up, sat down, stood up. And I realized in the middle of this that this has to be safe, right? It has to be safe. I could look at the bolts bolted into the rock, and I'm like, there's no way this is going. I watched a couple students go. And I realized, I can do this. So I began to change my mind. And in that process, I learned an important truth that John Ortberg talks about in his book. One of our biggest illusions is that our minds are generally governed by reason. But our minds are not logic machines. What seems to be true in one moment can change drastically in the next. So I knew logically I'm not going to die. I made up that mind, I prayed, I like, I went back and forth, there's a picture of me praying. I mean, I was terrified. This is a staged picture, but I promise you, I was praying nonstop from the time I got up there. And I decided, I'm going to do it. So they hooked my harness to the zip line. And I remember he like pulled and my feet came off the ground. And I'm like, oh, this was the wrong decision. 
This was the wrong decision. I had all kinds of irrational fear racing through my mind, all kinds of doubts whether the harness was going to hold. What happens if this zip line breaks? Maybe I'll be over the water. I can at least swim at that point. I'm not just going to bounce off the rocks down the hill. What if I let go? Because they're like, you got to hold this handle. I'm like, that's a long way to hold a handle. I'm terrified. You see, the truth is, when our doubts go unchecked, and our fear goes unchecked, it can cause us to miss out on some of the most incredible moments we have in life. However, in the same way, when we embrace our doubts, we see an all-new reality. And that's what I don't want you to miss this morning. Embracing our doubt allows us to see a different reality. Embracing our doubt, embracing our questions, embracing our fear allows us to see a different reality. Now, if you're here, Chase said this, we're in week two of a series we've called Growing Through Doubt. And the main idea of this series is that doubt is not the opposite of faith, but that doubt is actually the fertile soil faith needs to grow. Doubt is actually the fertile soil that faith needs to grow. So last week, we talked about all kinds of circumstances that cause us to doubt. How when we doubt, we have to choose between this idea of wandering or wondering. And we unpacked that last week, but really, wandering is an escape mechanism. We begin to wander, and we have questions, and we want to just sneak out. And I don't want to deal with my questions. I might say, if I was being a little harsh, it's the apathetic approach. I'm just going to let these questions just overwhelm me. I'm not going to do anything about them, and I'll drift away. Or we can choose to wonder. And when we wonder, we wonder about the bigness and the magnificence of God. We wonder, and we begin to work to do the research to find answers. And last week, we landed on this idea. The beginning of true faith is expressed doubt. we got to tell somebody about it. We're going to invite them to walk along with us. So this morning, I want us to wrestle with this second idea, that we were never called to certainty or to complete understanding, but to steps of faith in the midst of our doubts. And that by embracing our doubt, it allows us to see a different reality. Now, as we unpack that story, that truth today, we're going to look at a story that for some of you might be really common. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. So if you've got your Bible, you can pull that out, open it up to Matthew 14. If you don't, you can open the Bible on your phone. If you didn't know that, just pull your phone out, open it up. You can go to the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have that downloaded, it takes 30 seconds. We have really good Wi-Fi here. You can just download that on your phone. At the bottom, you'll see a little thing that says read. So you can just read. It'll give you a scroll. Scroll down to Matthew, open up to chapter 14. If you want some more, you can go to the more button. Go to events, type in Great Oaks Community Church. We've got a space for you to take notes as you listen this morning. So that's all there, but that's where we're camping out. And in this chapter, it's a story, like I said, that might be familiar, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you're somebody who's like, I don't know what he's reading from. I can't follow along. I read from the New Living. I just think it's easier to read. My reading level is not that great, so we might as well make it good for everybody. Matthew's one of four Gospels. Now, when we say gospel, gospel just means the good news. And these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us the story about Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. And so that's what it's about. But Matthew has this 
intense or this emphasis on showing us who Jesus really is, on showing us his identity as the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a big, fancy church word. It just means long-awaited king or anointed one. So Israel has been promised by God, the God that they worship, that there would be a king who is coming to set them free, the Messiah. Matthew's point in writing his gospel is to show us that Jesus is that Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that they've been waiting on. And as we pick up our story today, we're a little bit further along in the gospel, and Matthew's getting a little bit more intense and trying to be a little bit more clear about who this Jesus really is. And right before this text that we read in Matthew 14, 22 this morning, the, th- the following events have happened. I think they kind of set the stage, so it's important for us to know what's happened before. Jesus has just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded at King Herod's birthday party because his niece did something and he said, I'll give you anything you want, and she didn't like John the Baptist, so she said, I want his head on a platter. If you didn't know this before, I just want to be honest with you kids in the room, the Bible is not a G-rated book, okay? It's got some adult content in there. You just need to know that as you're going to read. So Jesus' cousin loses his head at the king's birthday party, kind of weird. After that, Jesus draws away to pray, and he wants some time to pray and to talk, and we assume to grieve. But as he draws away, a crowd kind of follows him. They see him going out. They follow him, and he has compassion on that crowd, and he begins to heal the sick in the crowd. He begins to teach them about what God wants in God's kingdom and unfold those things. And his disciples come up to him, and I love the disciples. One of the reasons I love them is they're always hungry. And they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, it's getting kind of late. There are 5,000 men in this crowd. They only counted men at that time. Don't be angry. It's just a cultural thing. They only counted the men. So there's women and children on top of that. And we have two fish and five loaves of bread. I'm not sure we can feed them. And Jesus is like, tell everybody, sit down. Can you imagine? Sit down. Uh, What? And he begins to tear the bread apart, and he feeds all these people. And he performs this miracle. And after that, it's getting late now. And it's time to send the people back home, and he's got a job for the disciples to do. And that's where we'll pick up our story in Matthew 14, 22 this morning. It says this, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hill by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. So as we dig into this passage this morning, I don't want you to forget that we're looking at this embracing our doubt allows us to see a different reality. This statement implies that there are two realities going on, or at least a perception of two realities. And I want to look at that first, because the disciples have this experience that they're going through, and they're allowing their experience and their emotions in the middle of that experience to define their reality. What are they experiencing? Well, Jesus made them get in a boat. They're alone 
It's dark. They might be hungry. They're probably grieving because they were close to John the Baptist too. A storm is coming up. They've got to be tired. It's 3 a.m. I don't know about you, but my body stops functioning at 10.30. Like, that is, it is too late. I should be in bed. They're stuck in the middle of a lake. They're fighting this storm. Jesus probably, based on the scripture, probably sent them out somewhere between 6 and 9 o'clock. And it's really somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. They've been fighting this storm and this wind for five or six hours. They're experienced fishermen, but they're more than two miles from shore. And then all of a sudden, a ghost, in their mind, comes walking along the water. Right? Wouldn't this make a great movie? Can you see it? The waves. I mean, we get somebody, we could call it like ghost walking or ghostly waters. Be, be fun. Their fear, their grief, and their exhaustion seem legitimate at the time. I don't think any of us would look at that and go through those experiences and be like, you know, I think the disciples are crazy for what they're feeling right now. But the thing is, that's not reality. That's what they experience as reality. They think they're alone. They think they're in trouble. The truth is, Jesus has dismissed the crowd. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. Jesus dismisses the crowd. Jesus walks up on the side of the mountain. So he has full view down over the lake. That time of year, the moon would be bright. Even with a storm brewing, the moon would still be shining. He can see the silhouette of their boat as they sail across this lake. And Jesus sits down to pray. Now Matthew doesn't give us any idea really what Jesus is praying for. So I'm going to speculate a little bit. This is the Jason Roten translation of Scripture. Understand that. If you disagree with this, that's okay. My guess is he's probably praying for John the Baptist's family who just lost their loved one. But he's probably also spent some time praying for his disciples. These men who have given up everything in their life to follow him. I think we see evidence of how he prays for the disciples when we look at the Gospel of John and he has this long prayer as he prays for the disciples and he prays for us. Jesus is praying for them as they are going through this experience, contradictory to the chaos and the panic that the disciples are feeling. Jesus is at peace and calm as he prays because Jesus knows who the Lord of the storm is. And it's at that moment he decides, I'm going to walk out to the disciples, right? Like, I'd like to be Jesus in this moment, just be like, I'm going to take a stroll across the lake. I moved here from Minnesota. We do lake walking in the winter. When it freezes, you can go out and walk on it. But this is not, this is the Middle East. It is liquid water. Jesus is just going to walk out. And when they see him and they freak out, Jesus' response is important. He says, take courage, I am here. That, those words, I am, we read over them and we can just go, oh, okay, that's no big deal. But that is a phrase the disciples would have known well. I am. That's the name that the God of the disciples, the God of us, gave to Moses when he spoke out of the burning bush. Moses said, who do I say is sending me when Pharaoh says, why should I let the Israelites go who were enslaved in Egypt at the time? And God says, 
Say, I am has sent you. And that idea of I am is the God who is with us, the God who is always present, the God who doesn't leave us alone, the God who shows up in the middle of our storm, the God who never left us in the storm. Even if we don't feel him, he is there with us. That's the reality. The reality is we are never alone in the midst of our doubt and our certainty. When we go through times of doubt and struggle and you have questions, you are never alone. We might feel that way. It might feel like from our perception, from our experience, from our reality that that's true. But that's not true. The God who loves you, the God who created you, the God who believes in you even before you believe in him is with you. And then when we realize that God is there, he invites us to take a step of faith. Let's go back to the story. The storm is still raging. Like, like sometimes when I read this part of the story, I think the storm ceased. No, the storm is still going on. And in the midst of the storm, after Jesus has said, it is I am, Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yeah, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. I cannot scroll my sheet of paper. I just realized that. So. In the midst of Jesus showing up and reminding us we're not alone, the next step of reality is that he's going to ask us to step out of our comfort zone. I can't imagine what it felt like to be Peter, right? Hey, if that's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out of the boat. There's got to be part of, the, part of Peter's mind that's going, there's no way he's going to ask me to walk on water, right? And Jesus goes, yeah, come on. I don't think, again, my, my translation, my thoughts, I don't think there's nothing in the text that says Peter just jumped out of that boat. I think it's this calm step. Wait, I didn't. I'm on top of the water. And he takes the next one. And he's got that braced look, right? Like, I, have you ever tried to walk on water? Ever thought about it? So my best friend, Andy, when I was growing up, he had a pool and he had a boogie board. I can't believe I'm still alive or have, don't have like massive holes in my head as a result of this. We decided it would be a great idea to push that boogie board out towards the edge of the pool and we would run as fast as we could and jump on it. And I never landed like that. Every time we hit that boogie board, it shot out and we shot backwards into the pool. That was as close as I ever got to walking on water. But Peter, unlike the other 11, steps out of the boat. He takes that step of faith. We talked about this last week. If we're going to grow, if our faith is really going to grow, we have to leave home. And I don't mean like your physical house, your bed, your pillow. I mean like that place where you grew up. That faith that you were taught or told what to believe. We have to step away from that. And we have to begin to explore for ourselves. That's what I think Peter's doing. Right? He's stepped out of the boat. He's like, I'm going to make this thing real. I'm going to prove to myself that this is worth putting my faith in. Peter left home. And if we want to grow, we've got to leave home too. Where's God trying to stretch you? What's he asking you to do? What are the questions that you are beginning to have that you need to explore? 
Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a, little t- a long time. You know there's this thought, there's this thing right in the back of your mind or in your heart that you've been like wrestling with, and you're like, that can't really be God. But it just won't go away, and you keep saying no, no, no. Maybe it's time to get out of our comfort zone. Church, I pray that Great Oaks, as we grow together, will, be a not, will not be a church that stays in the boat. But my prayer for each, for you and for me, is that we will be a faith community that desires to get out of the boat, that wants to walk on water, and wants to experience a better reality as we learn to walk in faith with Jesus. And what that looks like in 2021. And we'll do that by embracing our doubt and seeing that there's a different reality. But there's a hard truth to water walking. There's a hard truth to making that step of faith. It's a truth that we realize when we embrace doubt as a part of our faith. And it's our third reality. The reality is you and I will make mistakes. Take a look at Matthew 14, verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now these words might seem harsh. Might seem a little bit like, Jason, I thought you said doubt was okay. Jesus just seems to question Peter's doubt. I think Jesus' actions show something deeper and more profound than his words. I have a feeling I know what Peter was going through. When I watch student after student go down that zip line, my faith grew. I can do this. They're 17-year-old kids. They're 18-year-old kids. If they can do this, I can do this. Stop being a big chicken, right? I'm going to do it. So I got up from praying, and I, I walked straight to the line. I'm like, it is my turn. I'm going. And then all of a sudden, right, I saw the wind. My feet came off the ground, and I was not so certain anymore. Peter says, Jesus, ask me to come. Come on out. All right, I can do it. Oh, there are waves. The waves are hitting my knees. This water's not flat. The waves that were rocking the boat are now rocking my body. I don't think Peter's doubting Jesus in the middle of this. I didn't actually doubt the strength of the wire. I saw the bolts. They're connected. They're not coming out. I doubted my own ability to do this. I doubted my ability to hold on to that handle. I doubted my heart's ability to not explode as it came out of my chest. You see, Peter's doubting himself. I mean, who walks on water? That's what Peter's doing. He saw the wind, and when his doubts seemed to have overcome him, And he begins to fall. He begins to sink. It's important for us to see. Jesus doesn't look over Peter sinking in the water and go, how many times? How many times, Peter? How many times are you going to mess up? 
Jesus immediately reaches his hand down and pulls Peter up. Puts his arm around his shoulder. And the thing we don't talk about, they had to walk back to the boat. Peter fell. He had some doubts. He had some questions. But when he did, Jesus didn't look at him with judgment and condemnation. He looks at him with a spirit that says, come here and let me help you. Let's grow through this. You got out of the boat. The other 11 are still sitting there. You see, faith is not about perfection. We're not called to certainty. We're not called to know all the answers. I might actually say if you know all the answers, your God's too small. We'll unpack that idea next week. Faith's not about doubting, never doubting. Faith's about reaching out to the one who can save us and trusting him to do what only he can do. One of my favorite authors and speakers, Tim Keller, says this about falling off a cliff with a little branch there beside you. He says, if your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the branch can support you, but you don't actually reach out and grab it, you're lost. If your mind is instead filled with doubts and uncertainty that the branch can hold you, but you reach out and grab it anyway, you will be saved. It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. It's not the strength of our faith. It's who we put our faith in that makes a difference. Jesus says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, like that's big. It'll save you. We're not brought into a saving relationship with Jesus because all of our questions get answered, because we're certain about who God is or how he works, or because we have enough faith. We're saved when we reach out through the strong, steady, secure hand that God has reached down to us. And despite the wind, despite the waves, and despite our questions, we hold fast to that hand. When we realize Jesus is in the storm, when we step out of our comfort zone and we acknowledge that we are going to or have already made mistakes along the way, something amazing happens. Let's go back to our text. Verses 32 and 33. When they, Jesus and Peter, climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. The reality is when we go through those steps, we will experience Jesus in a new way. Never before in Matthew, the disciples, the 11 guys who are following Jesus most closely, never before in Matthew have they worshipped him. Have they claimed you are the Messiah, you are worthy of our worship. But in this moment, as they watch Peter step out in faith, doubt, and they watch Jesus pick him back up, their faith grew. They chose to do the hard work of wondering. Peter kept his eyes on Jesus. He kept asking questions and working to find answers. See, if we do that same thing, we'll experience Jesus in a whole new way. We talked about this last week. When you leave home base and you come back around to home, it won't be the same home you left. It'll be new and richer. You'll have a deeper experience Anne Lamott, another author, says this, the opposite of faith is not doubt. 
but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. I think that's exactly what happened to the disciples. Their faith continued to grow. And so will ours as we go through this cycle of doubt, leaving our comfort zone, failing, and experiencing Jesus in a whole new way. You'll see that pattern throughout the rest of the gospel. The disciples aren't done growing. They didn't achieve where they needed to achieve. They didn't make it to where they needed to make it in this moment. They're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to make mistakes. The cycle of doubt is not a one and done thing. It's not like, oh, I doubted once. It's over. I, I know it all now. When I walked up the side of that mountain, I was certain I was not going to do that zipline. All of a sudden, I'm putting on a harness. Took it off and I put it on again. Started to walk back down the bus to the mount to the walk back down the mountain to the bus. Watching my students go over that, I sat down. I got up. Sat down again. I prayed. I got up, sat down, I got up. I'll repeat that process every time you make me be more than six feet off the ground. However, on the other side of that zip line was an amazing meal. Now, I could have gotten in the bus, driven down the mountain, across the lake on the bridge, got out and had an amazing meal. But I would have missed the experience. I would have missed the memories. I wouldn't have the same stories to share with my kids as we sat around that table. For the disciples and for us, experiences lead to deeper relationships with Jesus and others. I like to think about faith as a journey. I love being outdoors. I like hiking through the woods. I think about faith as a hike through the woods. And when you go hiking, if you know anything about this, you pass these things called trail markers. And those trail markers just remind you where you've been. And they point you where you're going. So as I think about my faith, I think about times that I've journeyed, the ways that I've journeyed with God, I can look back to markers One of those markers I shared with you last week, staying in that hospital room with those parents. One of those markers was the time somebody showed up in my life when I had some questions and out of nowhere, they just called. And I was reminded, you know what? I'm not alone. I can look all the way back to some of the early markers when I was eight years old and I got baptized and I placed my faith in Jesus. Those two events are markers that have changed and shaped my life. Church, if you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a while, what are your markers that remind you of the times you stepped out in faith, that remind you of the mistakes you made and how you grew through those mistakes along the way? What are the markers that remind you you're not alone? And 
if you're here or you're online this morning and you're tuning in for the first time and you're like, this is a lot. I want you to know you're not alone. Even if you're sitting alone in your living room, there's a God who created you, who designed you, who knit you together, who loves you. And who wants nothing more than to be in a relationship with you. And if you're here and that's you and you're just starting that, you're like, I think maybe, maybe I'm ready for the first time to step out of the boat. We would love to talk with you about that. We would love to pray with you about that. Nothing weird. We're not going to send you a bunch of stuff. I promise we won't spam your email. Show up at your house this afternoon. Nothing weird, but we'd love to talk and pray with you about it. And so as soon as I'm done and we sing this next song, there'll be some folks on the two side walls who would love to talk with you. You'll have a name tag on that says prayer team. Each time you look back at your faith journey, think about those trail markers, about what God's been doing, and let them remind you that embracing our doubt allows us to see a different reality, the true reality. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful that you don't expect us to never have questions. That God, your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness are big enough that when we make mistakes, you come alongside of us. You reach out a hand. You teach us. You help us grow, but you love us in that moment. You don't judge us. God, I pray for each person in this room, no matter where they are in their faith journey, no matter what has been going on in their life, the stories of the past or the moments they're living right now, God, I pray that you use all of that for your glory to show them how much you love them. And God, for those who are here today who have never stepped out of the boat for the first time, God, we ask that you would work. Not us. Not through guilt. Not through shame. But through your speaking to their heart. Through an experience of love. Through an experience of acceptance. Through the truth of the reality that we are not alone. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross that pays for all of our mistakes. Thank you that he walked out of that tomb three days later, proving who he was and setting us free from the shame and the guilt that we feel. God, we pray all of this in his name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.